Our main scripture passage is Acts chapter 8. Let me begin with verse 4. So you remember in chapter 6 and 7, Stephen has been giving witness. He's been opposed. He's been stoned, and he dies seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, after his uh, execution, his martyrdom, the gospel was forced to go outside of Jerusalem as the disciples, other than the 12 apostles, were scattered into the nearby places, which that says at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. Let's pick up with verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there and that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are, still, I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Verse 24, then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip, verse 30, ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with, what, with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they had come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who is welcome? in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Like, who's welcome, really? You see how this could be a dangerous question, right? Stephen was killed, as I said, in chapter 7. Now the followers of Jesus are scattered around the region because they weren't, frankly, welcome in Jerusalem any longer. And as they scatter, the question is, will their movement lose momentum? Will they hide Will they stop publicly proclaiming the good news? Are they so worn out from being unwelcome that they won't welcome others? Or will they welcome the strangers among whom they've been scattered? Today we'll see what it looks like when Jesus' people welcome the Samaritan, welcome the sorcerers, and welcome the southerners. Jesus' people welcome Samaritans, sorcerers, and southerners. First, they welcome the Samaritans. Let's take a look. Now, Philip is a deacon like Stephen was. And just like Stephen, Philip is not sticking to his assignment, is he? He can't keep his mouth shut. He's getting into all kinds of mischief by speaking the gospel. And he can't help also but heal people, not just spiritually, but also physically. And so Philip ends up by this testimony and these good deeds, scattering the seed of the gospel in really the last place that you might expect, Samaria. What is it about Samaria? Well, because of Jesus's famous parable, the Good Samaritans, some of you know that Samaritans were the, you know, kind of Jewish, kind of not Jewish, but because they were close to being the right kind of people and in the right place, They're considered by the Jews dangerous. They're not quite who they should be, believing what they should be, worshiping where they're supposed to worship. They despise the Jews, and the Jews despise them too, for the most part. Now, I wonder if back in 
the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said that the Spirit would come, that his disciples would bear witness, and that they would do so in Jerusalem and Judea. I wonder if the disciples are like, yeah, we can do that, Jerusalem and Judea. That's kind of, yeah, we're good with that. But then he said, and Samaria, the disciples must have been like, did the Messiah just say the S word? Samaria? And then the disciples must have remembered how Jesus scandalously had spoken with the Samaritan woman by the well. They must have remembered how he spoke kindly to her, truthfully to her, and how he allowed her in on the secret that he was, in fact, the one that they had been waiting for, the Messiah, the one who would break down eventually the hostility between enemies and cause them to be united in worship that is in spirit and in truth more than in a certain place. They must have remembered, these disciples, how this Samaritan woman went back to her village and told all the people there that she had met someone who told her everything she had ever done and yet was kind to her in a word that she had met the Messiah. Well, verses 4 and 5 here of chapter 8 make it clear that when Philip went into Samaria, his primary goal was to extend the welcome. He wanted to preach the message of the Messiah who saves and who stops strangers, like Samaritans, from being strangers. He's preaching the good news of Jesus. But then verse 6 tells us that by God's grace, people weren't just hearing him, they were also being healed by him. And you can see what the effect was, right? They paid even more attention to what he said. And this is how it works in the Bible. In the New Testament, signs serve the true things that are said. This is the Bible's pattern. Miracles are a short-term, real-life picture of the eternal, immortal life that's available in the kingdom of God, in the resurrected Messiah, Jesus. Miracles point to that. The Samaritans received the truth, and they celebrated the truth's signs, these miracles, and they did so, verse 8, with great joy. Samaritan strangers are welcomed. Now, most of us are f afraid to cross even the street to welcome a new family into our neighborhoods. They look different than us. They talk different. They believe differently. They're strange, right? And we imagine that as they look across the street and see us, they think that we're strange too. So we think maybe the best way to be a neighbor here is to just leave each other alone. You do this enough times with enough strangers, and the next thing you know, the only people that you really know are people that already go to the International Protestant Church of Zurich. And you know, if that's okay with you, then you definitely don't want to ask the Lord, Lord, who are the people around me at work, at school, in my neighborhood, who might be a little bit on the outside? How, Lord, can I simply speak a word of welcome to them? If what you want is more of the same, polite distance between you and everybody else, then definitely don't cross the street while your neighbors, strangers to you, are walking their dog. Don't say welcome. Don't say you're welcome in my neighborhood. You're welcome in our department at work. You're welcome in this Gemeinde. You're welcome in my life. And so long as your Samaritans, whoever they might be, are strange 
and unwelcome to you and to me, well, that's fine. But we are out of step with the Jesus movement. We are moving away instead of out. Now you might say, okay, fine. We need to welcome the stranger. Even if they're Samaritans, they're pretty strange. But surely you can't just invite anyone and everyone into the kingdom of God, right? There are bad people in Samaria. What if they get into the kingdom? Yep. If you invite anyone in, you're going to be inviting some bad people into the kingdom. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 is one of these bad dudes that you're welcoming in. How bad is Simon? Verse 9. Well, he's using demonic powers of magic not to bless and heal people, but to gain power and prestige. He wants people, verse 10, to say to him, you are not just great, you are God. And this is the kind of thing they're saying to him. They follow him everywhere. He's now got the control and the fame and presumably the money to go with it. You don't want this guy in the kingdom, right? So why would you welcome him? Well, somebody didn't tell this to Philip because, oops, verse 12, Philip preached the gospel and Simon the sorcerer, verse 13, believed and was baptized. It doesn't say that Simon the sorcerer pretended to believe or he seemed to believe. Every indication is that he trusted Jesus. And now Simon the sorcerer, who used to want everyone to follow him, is following Philip as Philip follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And then things get even weirder because Peter and John come to Samaria to check out what's happening. They hear that the Samaritans believe a little revival has broken out and they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. So they lay hands on them. Verse 17, the Samaritan believers receive the Holy Spirit and Simon the sorcerer presumably also does. And he is super impressed with Peter and John. What if I could also lay hands on people and they would receive the Holy Spirit. Now Luke, again, doesn't say that this guy was a phony Christian. He could be thinking, hey, I could make money off of the Holy Spirit. Or he could be thinking, you know, I could really spread this good news, which is now so good to me if I had this power to lay hands on people and spread the Holy Spirit around. So he offers Peter a donation and says, in exchange, why don't you just give me the ability to pour out the Spirit on people? This is my kind of thing. I'm Simon, the famous sorcerer. And what does Peter say? Verse 20, you know, the NIV softens this a little bit. But what Peter literally says is, you and your money can go to hell. You're wrapped up in the tentacles of your deep-seated sins, and nobody manipulates the grace of God, Simon. You can't purchase God's power. If you want to take part in our ministry, you need the gift not of this mysterious ability, but you need the gift of deep repentance, deep forgiveness, deep renewal by the Spirit in your heart and in your mind. And right away, Simon knows that Peter's right. You know, just because someone believes the good news about Jesus and has an experience of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that they suddenly began living like a saint. All of us have to become apprentices of Jesus, and it takes time to imitate Jesus. Simon the sorcerer didn't suddenly just become Simon the super saint just because he became a believer. 
And if you and I want to be part of the Jesus movement, we can't merely be ready to welcome strangers like Samaritans. We have to be ready to welcome strangers like sorcerers strangers. Are sorcerers too sinful, let me ask you, to begin to follow Jesus? Or can they be embraced by grace and taught and sometimes with tough love the way of Jesus? Peter seems to think that they can. He doesn't mince words with Simon the sorcerer, but gives him the kind of discipleship that he needs. A call to repentance and faith that's deeper than what he has so far. Simon needs to learn to worship and pray and apprentice his heart to Jesus. And then he'll be ready, presumably, to share in the ministry of the Jesus movement. Now, friends, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, sometimes I feel like a Samaritan. But I got to tell you that we are all recovering sorcerers, folks. If the good news is good enough to save and renew you and me, then God's grace can welcome anyone. Anyone. So, to be part of the Jesus movement, we've got to be willing to welcome the stranger. We've got to be willing to welcome Samaritans. We've got to be willing to welcome sorcerers. And then there's one more welcome in Acts chapter 8. What is it? Well, we welcome, let's call them, the Southerners. Verse 26, Philip the deacon is sent to the desert road leading to Gaza. He finds an Ethiopian eunuch riding in his chariot, probably heading back home to Africa after worshiping in Jerusalem. When Jews and Greeks called someone an Ethiopian, they didn't mean that this person was barbaric or impure somehow. It usually just meant that the person had dark skin and they were from Africa. Ethiopians were different and they were distant geographically and culturally. If you're a Jew in the Mediterranean world, Ethiopia kind of means to the ends of the earth. And I love this, right? The Spirit of God, verse 29, tells Philip, I want you to sneak up on the Ethiopian while he's sitting in his chariot. Philip sneaks up on him, stands there, walks alongside of him. This important court official from the south is reading out loud, as normal people did in that time. And Philip recognizes what he's reading. It's Isaiah the prophet. And Philip says, sir, do you understand what you're reading? And then I love how smart and bold both the Ethiopian official is. He understands the scriptures enough to know that the passage he's reading is rich and to know that he doesn't quite understand it. And so he asks the perfect question, and then they have a little Bible study together in the chariot. Now remember, too, that the Ethiopian official is way more important than Philip. The Ethiopian is welcoming Philip, even as Philip is welcoming the Ethiopian, maybe even more so. And as soon as Philip explains that Isaiah is ultimately, like the whole Bible, all about Jesus, the Ethiopian believes. And he says, verse 36, hey, look, there's some water. What's stopping me? See, he's a commander of people, and he, he's used to saying, what's stopping me from getting this thing that I want? He says, what's stopping me from being baptized right here, right now? And Philip says, nothing, and baptizes him by the side of the road. And then Philip disappears. See, this isn't about Philip. This isn't about the deacons, the servants of God. This is about the Spirit of God. And it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. But as Philip disappears, the Ethiopian is still there. 
and he rejoices, and he heads home to Africa, a new man in Christ. And get this, before the gospel ever spreads into Europe, one of the most important people in African civilization has now learned to read his Bible with Jesus at the center. He's been baptized, he's following Jesus Christ, and now he's ready to spread the word of God in Ethiopia, in its court, and beyond. And so you see what's happening in this little chapter. In one chapter, the gospel and the Jesus movement has gone, just like Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. You know, it's a good thing that Philip wasn't racist, huh? It's a good thing that this deacon saw himself as the servant of Samaritans and sorcerers and Southerners alike. It's a good thing that the followers of Jesus didn't respond to the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that they experienced afterward by going back into their hiding places and keeping the good news to themselves. Now, I don't know which of these sorts of strangers you have a hard time welcoming. Is it people that have a different religious background? Different cultural background? Is it people who you think think that they are too important? People that are a little arrogant? People that are a little full of themselves? Is it people from the ends of the earth with a different shade of skin and a different culture and language? Welcoming the stranger is weird, folks. It feels odd. It's countercultural. It cuts across everyone's expectations of what normal people would do. But you know what? Jesus is a little weird. And so is the kingdom of God. And so is the movement, therefore, of these first Jesus people. But look at it this way. Think of Philip. He's accumulating, as he serves the Lord Jesus, so many stories. Think of what the question and answer time in glory will be like with Philip. Philip, tell us about the time when you showed up in Samaria and preached and they actually believed you. Philip, tell us about Simon the sorcerer. Maybe we'll get to ask Simon the sorcerer to tell the story himself. Philip, tell us about when you snuck up on that Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot and ended up doing a Bible study. Tell us how the good news of Jesus went from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth under your ministry. If you want a boring religious experience where everything is predictable and under control, if you want a community where everything's safe and no one looks, believes, or behaves in ways that are strange to you, if you want churchianity, then look, you're going to have to ignore this fourth act in the book of Acts. Ignore Acts chapter 8, because Acts chapter 8 calls us to be a Jesus movement that welcomes strangers. And any time that you welcome strangers, you're asking for it. You're asking for trouble, but you're asking for adventure and surprise. You're giving up your supposed sovereignty and you're surrendering to the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. In other words, you are, in welcoming the stranger, following Jesus Christ. The only reason that any of us have any share in this ministry of the apostles is because they 
welcomed strangers. And the only reason that any of us are in the kingdom to begin with is because when we were strangers, God sent our Lord Jesus himself to come and to come alongside of us and to welcome us in. Is this the movement that we want to be a part of? Or not? What if we said yes? Can you imagine? Gracious God, grant us the privilege of being so part of the Jesus movement that we become the welcomers of strangers and see them transformed into friends and see them following Jesus and even teaching us how to do so more faithfully. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.